Um, McKee talks about how theme is a vague term because people use it to mean war, poverty, uh, whatever, and love. And it's like that that's a very vague term for what theme is. And so he uses the term instead controlling idea, which is essentially everything that theme means, which is the idea of a story, but it adds a functionality to it, which is you're trying to, the controlling idea is how you express the meaning of your work, how and why life changes. Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Story Toolkit. I'm Basim El-Wakil, co-author of Action, The Art of Excitement with Robert McKee, and joining me is Luke Lionel, writer and part of the McKee Storylog team. So today we're going to talk about The Wire. Yes. <laughs> you look like... <laughs> I got distracted because you started off you know, really loud and I could see the waveforms on the recording. Okay, do your admin. <clears throat> okay, I'm going to do it at a reasonable volume. Thank you for listening to the Story Toolkit. You can get in touch on Twitter at the Story Toolkit or through our website, thestorytoolkit.wordpress.com, where you can email us direct and listen to all our previous episodes. Bing bong. <laughs> um, the Wire. It's about time. Right? By the way, re- you should review us uh, <laughs> because uh, amazingly, our entire average score has been dropped from <laughs> by like a half a star because of one one star review. But and it's by the way I told him I showed him and he was like, Do you want me to change it? I'm like, no. <laughs> this is this is perfect. So well done, Chris. Thank you. Uh, it's great. So yeah. Uh rate this rate the podcast. And what else? It's even easier now. Is it? Yeah, on the po- the podcast app, the new podcast app that I've been using is like really nice and So it's even easier to give us one star. I think so. Oh, then there's no excuse not to give us one star. I haven't rated it myself. <gasps> we can drop that average down. I might rate it myself and say, like, put a comment. <laughs> this is my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Even I don't listen to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so the right. wire. We're going to talk about the wire. And you ride through the garden, better ride your back. That that show. And that's all we have to say about the wire. You remember all? You remember the show from HBO back in two thousand and two? Something like that. Back in the olden day, back in the before time. Yeah, it was one of the first long form series, um, and it is often heralded as the best. Um, and it's hard to argue with that. Um, it's it's quite funny because uh, the Wire did not do well on television, um, at all. Um, it it basically got subsidised by The Sopranos. Right, the Sopranos did so well. And HBO realised because HBO had this thing, they wanted to do programming that no one else was doing, and so the idea of them doing a cop show was just like, why would we do a cop show? We're HBO. We don't. We don't. We don't do what everyone else is doing. And um, the the show they got pitched of the wire explained to them that it wasn't really a cop show. It looked like one, but it wasn't a cop show. And it was so different. This is how different the wire was for people back then. When they sent out copies for people to review, they told the reviewers, "We've sent you four episodes because you it won't make sense with one. It takes time." Um, and um, uh, what's uh, David Simon, the show's creator and producer, he he likened it to Moby Dick. 
and he said, you know, Herman Melville takes 100 pages before they get on the ship. Um, there's a reason why. I remember, you know, people talk uh, occasionally about feeling like Breaking Bad is slow, <laughs> <laughs> which we proved with empirical evidence in a previous episode um, yes. to be untrue. But The Wire was slow. Like every season was the sa- every season was the same. The first seven episodes set essentially the House of Cards up, Ooh. and then yeah. next six however many it was just went off the rails well if I remember right part of the problem is that, uh, not problem but big problem part of the way it worked was that the inciting incident wasn't even in the first few episodes no that's why it was like it was slowly building because there wasn't and also uh, The Wire as we'll say isn't a show is not a uh, is not is not a, a regular show in the sense it's a multiplot yeah uh, it's, it's not got one storyline that goes through all the seasons it's got multiple storylines um, built around a theme, and so it's not it's not like Breaking Bad or The Sopranos or anything like that. It's it, there's no that's why characters keep dropping in and dropping out, and why new characters keep getting in, introduced and they carry an entire season because it's not about one it's not about one case. Mm. Um, and in fact, famously, uh, spoilers for The Wire. <laughs> famously, in season three, when uh, Stringer Bell gets killed. Um, HBO brought in the show's producers and they said well the show's over right and they went no <laughs> we got we got two more seasons in our head we got because we want to build the city of Baltimore over five series and they went okay fine they just had to show them why they need to do season four and five and they went well here's what we're going to do in season four and five here's the the, 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 the pitch for that and they yeah. went that sounds great and, it, and HBO were great they just were like this we know we're making really good television so when did it it. when did it really become popular um it became popular if i recall it became popular when it started coming out on dvd right and word of mouth and people were lending it and you could binge it you could binge it uh it wasn't (laughs) binge it i remember getting the season four box set um and i sat there saturday morning like four in the morning in my underwear eating Doritos and I was like I've passed the point of no return and I just I binged the entire season in, in one night like went to bed at six in the morning or something I just I, but I, I, I can clearly remember me sitting in my room on my swivel chair eating Doritos in my not wearing because it's summer I think so I'm wearing nothing but my underwear looking at the TV I, I, I can see I can see myself and there's a part of me that's like I am a failure, <laughs> and yet I can't. I can't lie, and I can't redeem myself by going to bed now. Going to bed now <laughs> does not redeem me. I may as because otherwise, if I if I don't finish it tonight, I will be this way tomorrow, and I can't. I can't handle that. So one night of total failure is acceptable. That's that. I remember. I remember the sensation so clearly. So anyway, that was the. That was the binging uh, thing. But there's also another funny thing about The Wire, which is um, that um, David Simon is quite bitter about it, uh, particularly after Treme, because Treme was the show he did after The Wire. It it didn't do very well. And and he's particularly bitter because... I only saw the pilot of Treme, but it looked really interesting. Yeah. um, the, The problem that he had was that people... 
all would say about how much they love the wire and how and all this and he would say but i remember when it was on the air and we weren't doing well <laughs> and you only like it afterwards when it came on dvd and stuff and pe- and you and you liked it because of this and for that reason but when we were doing treme you didn't care either and he goes this and the most popular season of the wire is the second season and he goes you know why and then and people why why so it has the most white people in it and everyone's just so it's like yeah it, we have the we have the figures it's the most popular season there is a certain and he just goes on about like there's a certain ratio of black to white faces where after which most people will just turn off the television and so he so he's kind of he's at, you hear him talk about it like he's proud of the white but he's kind of he hates the audience, <laughs> um, but because because uh, Treme is an almost completely black show, right? And it just mm. didn't didn't get traction. It got a couple of seasons, or maybe three at most. I'm not sure. Mm. It, it didn't do nearly as well as as uh, The Wire did. Nowhere near as close. And it didn't get the the traction it wanted. And I don't think he got the critics to. I, and I never really saw it myself, unfortunately. I watched a few episodes, and it's in my defense, it's actually a bit hard to watch these shows because in England we don't have HBO. Yeah. So we can only watch stuff on box sets, and there's only a certain number of times where a show comes out that you've never seen, and it's like thirty, forty pounds for ten episodes, and that you're going to just plop down the money, sight unseen, particularly if no one you know has seen it. Yeah. So it's just one of those. And back back when Treme was on stuff, we didn't have really the broadband that we have now. We didn't, have, and even now, streaming services, we don't have HBO unless it's on Sky or something. Like HBO isn't anywhere on Netflix. It's not on Amazon Prime. No, 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 no. So a- HBO, they, HBO have, have yeah. their own on-demand service, don't they? Right, and it's not available in England. Yeah. And so it's not because actually I really do want to watch Treme, but I don't know anyone who has it. I and I don't particularly want to shell out fifty quid for it uh, when I have more stuff than I can possibly watch on Netflix. At the moment. Yeah. So it's just it's one of those things where like in uh, but apparently the wire did really well in England. That England loved the wire. Mm. It did uh it, it did phenomenally. Well. Um, so it's just one of those things where like so he's uh, but anyway, I mean let's... The, the point of the point of this was like the, the nature of the environment in which this show comes out. This show comes out um and it's so different and groundbreaking that it's apparently a cop show done by a network that doesn't do cop shows that requires audiences to watch four episodes before they're allowed to make a judgment on it. Um, that is so predominantly um, not white that audiences, by and large, aren't even interested in watching it. And yet, it has gained the legs and become known as one of the greatest television shows ever written. Right. Um, Alan Moore. It's one of the big three, right? Yeah. What are the other two? Uh, Breaking Bad and Sopranos. Yeah. Though generally, if you if you ask people what the best television series of all time is, it yeah. would be normally it'll be one of those three. Yeah, I'm quite right. It's probably going to be those three. Um, yeah, Mad Men isn't on that list, is it? It's not. No. Uh, and it, it, and of course, it's a completely different list if you ask comedies. Yeah. <laughs> that like no one in that list is com- thinking of The Wire and comparing it to a comedy. No. Um, at all. So it, it's it's it, and it's bizarre because it's they're all crime. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So anyway, uh, but, uh, so well, it's, it's funny. It's, it, as we'll talk more, yeah. it's like crime, crime forms part of the themes of these shows, yeah. but it's not necessarily no a crime show in that. No, it's true. Typical sense. 
But um, yeah, it's 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 just one of those things where like it's it's a, it's it's this show that kind of yeah, it's just let's let's get into it properly. Just a right. quick synopsis, then. Hold on, there are a couple of funny things. Uh, I mentioned Alan Moore um, talked about how he called it big boy television. The <laughs> idea being that this is television for adults. It's not television yeah. for. It's not just uh, you put it on while you're doing your ironing. It's real. He, I think, the way he was describing it was, it's like it's it's like a work of literature. Yeah, it's just on screen, um, and um, uh, oh jeez. Uh, oh, and then of course there's the famous thing of how it affected pop culture. So someone asks Obama, uh, "Who's your favorite character in The Wire?" And he goes, "Omar." And you're just like, and David Simon said, "This shows he has no political acumen." Like to say that your favorite character, is, like your, to say that your favorite show is The Wire, right, and that your favorite character in it is the gay drug dealer, <laughs> right? That's like, do you not want to get elected? <laughs> and that was uh, David Simon's joke about it. Um, but yeah, he, um, it's a wonderful show, and it was written by people I think who, because David Simon, you when you watch him talk talk about this stuff. You can tell this is a guy who is, who worked because he he was a journalist. Uh, he worked in homicide. Uh, he had a homicide detective help him make this show. They made the corner, and they and he worked on homicide life on the streets, which were two other shows that are similar. And you you can tell this is a guy who is just. How did he phrase it? He said, um, "The wire is a lie, but." It's a lie in which I can tell more truth than I could have done it ever as a journalist. Hmm. Something like he phrased it something like that because he he was able to put things in and there's things in there that he couldn't put in because they're just too traumatic and too nasty. But by by putting this up on television, he was able to expose things that he couldn't have done as a journalist. And uh, there's also a great bit where someone said, you know, what do you think about the casual viewer who comes in halfway through your season and doesn't know what's going on? And he goes, fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, I mean, this was this was a guy, uh, This this The Wire is this guy who's like, I have something important to say. I'm going to say it properly. I'm going to do my work. He took the, the took everything about it seriously. He hired people local to Baltimore to be in it. He hired former drug dealers and ex-cons to be in it. There's a real sort of uh, uh, conscience behind the work. And then, uh, and it's extremely well written. And um, and it's just, it it's, it's one of those shows where it, it demanded attention. Mm. It didn't beg for it. It was like, no, no, this show is brilliant. <laughs> you know, we're doing this properly. We've got something to say. And you either listen or you don't. But we're not going to, we're not going to do anything to pander to you. And that's, I think, is I think that's a, always a great sign when a work demands your attention, and the wire does. Give us the real broad strokes of the synopsis. So the wire is a show about a, a cop called McNulty, and McNulty um, is tr- is aware of this drug kingpin in the projects of Baltimore, and McNulty is a is a Baltimore detective. And um, he's sick of this guy. This guy's called Barksdale. And he's sick of him because he he and everyone knows he's in charge of the projects. And he's, he's, the, and he's running all these drugs. He knows. Everyone knows. 
and no matter what they do, he cannot get him arrested. And he, just, he cannot take it anymore. And so he starts causing a fuss. Um, and there's, 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 there's just some stuff in here. For example, um, uh, his one of the detectives that he works with, Bunk, in the first episode, uh, they come across a, a, murder, a, a, a dead body. And Bunk is hoping it's a suicide. Because if it's a suicide, he's like, please come back, suicide, please come back, suicide. Because if it's a suicide, he doesn't have to do any police work, and therefore he doesn't have to clear it. And it doesn't, because what really matters to the police, you discover very quickly, is not solving crimes or anything like that. It's actually all about having a good clearance rate. It's about the stats. Your What's more important than solving crime is having a police uh, station that looks like it doesn't have murders, and that the murders it has get solved. That's what it's really about, right? It's not, and so you have, you know, in most cop shows, someone dies, and then there's two rival police departments that go, "This is our jurisdiction," right? And they fight over who gets to solve the case. Well, in the wire, if that happens, they they push the body slightly to one side and go, "It's in your jurisdiction," and therefore, and walk off. And if they don't do that, and they end up with the body, this actually happens in one episode, and they end up with the body, the chief walks up and goes, why did why did you take jurisdiction of that body? Why did you do that? And they chew them out for taking in a murder, right? So this is the world that they live in. And McNulty is causing a huge fuss, and he's causing problems. I forget exactly how. Uh, but he's causing problems, and this results in him getting a task force to take on Barksdale. And the way they're going to do that is with surveillance, hence the wire, right? They're going to wire him up, surveillance. And he gets a team, and the team are rep- just basically Daniels, who is uh, this hard-ass guy, who is, like, he's on the officer track but not because he wants to be an officer so much he's not he's just he's just like he's super cop right and he's got no humor and and he just he does the things by the book and because he's so by the book he can't be trusted because he won't break um what do you call it bureaucracy he he's not a bureaucrat yeah right so the bureaucrats don't like him but He's a proper cop. So they shovel him onto this yeah. team. Yeah, so they shove him on this team. And this team is then filled with everyone else who is rubbish. Like, one guy... Uh, in fact, he ends up leaving halfway through the first season because he um, he he manages to get off on disability. That's the only reason he's there. To try and get off on disability and keep his pension. He wants to get fired and keep his pension. That's one of the cops on this thing. None of the cops here care about this thing. They all hate it. I think... Uh, uh, Kima is the only one who does. What about Lester? Le- now, Lester, Lester uh, is an excellent cop who cares. He's a lot like McNulty, but he's been utterly trashed. He, uh, there's this great thing where uh, it turns out Lester Freeman is this amazing cop who works in um, the evidence locker. All he does is work in the evidence locker. He makes doll furniture. That's it, right? And it turns out he is the best cop in this task force. McNulty, after being for, like forced with hard-ass Daniels, who won't let who will by the because the thing is McNulty breaks the rules and Daniels won't let him break the rules. That's why they've been put together, right? Because they'll drive each other insane. So McNulty is surrounded by incompetence, people who don't want to work, right? All this stuff, 
and Presbaluski, who is the young rookie who's just a total reckless fool, right? And he ends up like almost turning a kid blind by beating him up. And so he gets set, kicked off the force. Like, this is not a good group. And then Daniels is in charge, who's supposed to be in charge of all these total losers. Like, he's clear... McNulty has managed to get his task force, but he's got the worst possible task force. And so when it fails, it's his fault and he's in trouble. And Lester, it turns out, out of the blue, McNulty realises Lester is the best cop like he's ever met, right? And he's 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 and he's like, what happened? He's like, listen, uh, I did this thing, I did the thing, you know, and he did like what McNulty did. He did the right thing, but it pissed off his superiors. And then they went, and then his he goes, and then my chief comes up to me, all friendly and everything. Goes, tell me, Lester, where don't you want to go? I want to make sure you land on your feet. Where don't you want to go? And I and I told him where I didn't want to go. So I ended up where I didn't want to go, the locker room, McNulty. When they tell you, where don't you want to go, right? Just remember, don't tell them where you really don't want to go, okay? And, um, and of course, it's quite funny because at the end of this season, um, the whole wire thing, everything's fallen apart. It's gone very wrong. And uh, Rawls, his chief, goes to McNulty. McNulty, I want to make sure you land on your feet. Tell me where you don't want to go, right? <laughs> and everyone knows McNulty doesn't want to like end up on the boat. And he ends up on the boat. In season two, he's on the boat, right? He's doing harbour patrol and stuff. So, but Lester turns out to be this amazing uh, cop. And what happens, Lester is the one who says, which is where you've heard this phrase, the wire gets quoted all the time, follow the money. Right. Right? And Lester's the one who works out, you follow the money. It's not about the drugs. It's about the money. Who has the money and so And Lester starts tracing the money to people in government right in the mayor in city hall and stuff and so they start exposing how all even though the projects are just these poor black people who are constantly uh riddled with this sort of war on drugs and the drug crime and all this stuff and there's the drug dealer they 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 expose that this is all being propped up by very wealthy people politicians and so on and um, and so the first season is all about this area and they end up getting in a lot of trouble because they follow the money too much okay but Barksdale does get arrested he gets put in prison um, uh, yeah that, that is that's what happens yeah, yeah, yeah. he gets arrested and gets put in prison season two and so as a result um, it's like it's done it's finished right they've got Barksdale but Lester and Daniels both realize that there's lots more going on here and they keep the task force and they want to keep following the money even though they've got Barksdale but McNulty gets kicked off the thing and so on so it, they kind of keep the task force uh, and they focus more on Barksdale's associate Stringer Bell and so season two they focus on the wharf and the shipping and the white uh, working class of Baltimore and how they're getting squeezed out and losing jobs and they can't keep jobs and so they have to turn to criminal enterprises in order to keep their jobs going and of course this is how drugs and sex trafficking get into the city because none of this stuff is manufactured in Baltimore right how does this stuff get into Baltimore like okay you've got a drug kingpin and he's selling drugs but where are the drugs coming from where's all this stuff coming from it's coming from the shipping so now we see the shipping world and uh, the shipping world we see how that plays out and of course, that plays out really awfully. Um, they get the 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 white people that we watch on in get in way over the head, and uh, they get killed and stuff. It's quite upsetting, actually. Um, and then um, season three, um, we get to City Hall because we've seen how the the projects, and we've seen how 
the shipping, um, City Hall has to okay all of this. And uh, the money is tracing back to City Hall. So now we get caught up in the mayoral election for Baltimore. And we get caught up in City Hall. And during this, uh, Stringer Bell gets killed. Uh, and it seems like that's the end of the show. Right? Barksdale is in prison forever. Um, uh, Stringer Bell is dead. Um, and so that whole king, that drug empire is gone. Finished. And uh, we've traced the corruption back to City Hall. Of course, it's never going to go any further than that then no one's going to get arrested for that. Obviously, they're in City Hall. That's the end of it. And at the same time in Season 3, you have this amazing thing where... uh, My favourite thing in Season 3, Major Colvin, uh, one of the police majors, um, has had enough of what they call juicing the stats, right? What I was saying about earlier. He's had enough of this. He wants to do actual good work. And he realises that the war on crime is a total nonsense. It's just rubbish. It doesn't work. Bunny. Yeah. That just doesn't work. So what he says, he goes, look, people used to do a thing where if you went in prohibition times where you, alcohol was illegal, but if you put it in a brown bag, no one could see what you're drinking, and so it was okay. And people just looked the other way, and we worked on real police work, right? So his idea was, like, we're going to create, he creates a place called Ham, called Amsterdam, right? And they call Amsterdam, right? Mm. Uh, named after uh, the city in Denmark, because um, the idea is, in these blocks, this area, and he tells tells the drug dealers, he tells everyone, says, this area here, if you guys do drugs in this area, we won't do anything. Denmark or Holland? It's Holland, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, um, I should have said, no, it's Baltimore. Uh, um, (laughs) So he says, in this area, that's it. So what he does is he does this, and then he tells his officers, just do real police work. And the police officers kind of love this, because they're doing proper police work, they're not doing stupid nonsense stuff where they're arresting black kids for no reason and all that kind of stuff um and the stats just drop everything goes down crime goes down solved crime goes up etc 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 just gets better and better and better and he's at the meeting like <laughs> this is halfway through the season he's at the meeting and rules who's been promoted and everything just goes bunny we know like everyone here massages the, the, the stats. Everyone does. Everyone juices the stats. But this has got to be criminal now. I mean, you're taking it too far, Bunny. It's like, no massaging, no juicing. These are the actual stats. He goes, well, how did you do it? Illegalized drugs. <laughs> <laughs> right? And they just, they lose their mind. And so this is happening because the whole thing is, remember, City Hall is going on. There's a mayoral election happening. And the mayor is running... The incumbent mayor is running, I think. No, it's not. Yeah, it's the incumbent mayor who's running on the idea that crime is dropping. And it turns out crime is dropping because they've legalized drugs. Right? And so there's this huge political firestorm building. And of course, what happens is at the end of it, and Mayor Colvin, Major Colvin's happy to do this because he's almost, he's got six months to retirement. So he wants to do something good before he retires. Like, they can't touch me. They can't touch my pension. Of course, they screw him. They halve his pension or they give him a tenth of it. They, they, they demote him, I believe, so that when he's let go, he's got the pension not of a major, but the pension of the mm-hmm. thing below. So he loses tons of money in the process. He gets completely hammered, etc. His, his career is over long before he can retire, etc. Et and it, all the good work he's done gets completely undone as Amsterdam gets taken down. And, um, and that's season three. And then that's when um, the uh, HBO said, you know, what's left of the show? You've got rid of Stringer Bell. And you've got rid of Barksdale. The the wire's done. You've exposed the corruption. What's left? And they went, well, 
here's the next two seasons. And so season four comes in, and they focus on the schools. And Colvin's a big part of the school storyline as well. And so is Cutty, who I loved. I love Cutty as well. Um, and this, it's about, and season four is generally a lot of people's favorite seasons. And it's about the schools. And you watch these kids growing up in this area, and you see, and it's just utterly tragic to watch some of these kids get lost along the way, and other kids survive. Like, uh, one of the worst behaved kids in the school, Colvin, ends up adopting and looking after, and he makes it. Uh, whereas another kid, uh, one of the cops tries to adopt, and he can't do it. Prez Belusky becomes comes back from season one as a teacher to help and it's like it's a form of his redemption in a way and um uh and you just you watch you basically you've seen up until this point lots of characters like bubbles and uh um uh, and you even and uh, barksdale and characters like this and what you're watching now is kids who as you're watching them you go that kid's going to become a bubbles hmm. that kid's going to become a barksdale you watch them, and you're watching also Ma- uh, Marlo Stanfield, um, who's this young uh, criminal becoming the next Barksdale. He's filling the gap, right? And so you're watching how these people come into existence and how the school system fails them because the school system doesn't care. The school system cares about the stats and the exam results and the funding. It doesn't care about the kids. And then... You get season five, and they go, if all of this is true, how come no one's solving it? How come no one's dealing with it? How come people don't know about it? And so season five is about the media. And we watch how the media doesn't care. Media cares about circulation. They don't care about story. They don't care about truth. They don't care about justice. They just care about making sure that the things are selling. They care about advertising, etc., etc., etc. And there's this brilliant bit at the beginning of season five where McNulty has had enough there's these enormous cuts to the police, right? To the point where, if you remember, um, there's one cop car that's working and he has to fill it up with petrol. That kind of stuff. Like, they are threadbare. There is no money anywhere. And McNulty's driven crazy by this because he goes, it's not true. We know there's money. They're just not giving it to us, right? And, of course, we know this is true. Like, recently here in England, we had an election which was run on the idea that um, the Labour Party, our left-wing party, uh, run by Jeremy Corbyn, um, is going, if we come into um, into leadership, we will uh, pay for this, 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 whatever, and NHS, all this stuff. And they itemised and explained how they were going to pay for everything. And our friend Stu, an accountant, actually looked through the numbers and said, yeah, the numbers work. Because people were saying they don't, the numbers don't make sense. Like no, no, the numbers do work, and um, and it was all built on the idea that people who are supposed to be paying tax pay tax, etc. Right, and that was the idea you pay for it. And the conservatives went, well, they're just they're making up a money tree. The numbers don't make sense. Blah 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 blah. There's no money. We're, we're, we're using the money. They're just they're, it's just nonsense. It's just nonsense. And then the the election comes through, and the conservatives have lost their majority and they they need 10 seats to keep majority and they go well we'll work with uh, the far right Irish DUP and the DUP go yeah fine that's okay but we want a billion pounds and I presume they did this was it 10 billion billion. we want 10 billion pounds and I presume they did it like Dr. Evil just with a (laughs) thing and she went sure and I'm like everyone was just you've been you've been mocking Labour for saying there's a magic money tree 
in their manifesto that's been itemized and costed. Your manifesto has no figures and suddenly you can find billions to give to people to another party in Ireland just so you can keep political power. Where did those billions come from, right? Just out of nowhere. And so McNulty understands this, right? Because this is just true. When you need the money, it's there, right? There's certain things that never run out of money, okay? There was that phrase in The Sopranos, uh, they stole it. That, what's, uh, oh, yeah, he goes, to, uh, there's a recession going on. And what's been kicked up to Tony is less. And Tony goes, Silvio, what are the two professions that are recession-proof? And Silvio goes, certain aspects of show business and our thing. Right? <laughs> okay? <laughs> so, McNulty, McNulty uh, is sick to it and he knows, he knows that there's the money is out there. So what does he do? This is brilliant. He finds another dead homeless body, right? In the middle of Baltimore, there's no, you know, it's winter in Baltimore. In Baltimore in winter, it snows, right? So these people are dying from exposure and stuff in, inside buildings. They're just squatters, right? They're derelict buildings. So what does he do? He, When no one's looking, he puts his hands on the dead guy's throat and strangles him. The guy's dead, but he strangles him. And it leaves impressions that he's been strangled. And it's been close enough to post-mortem that it looks like that's what the cause of death was. They won't look post-mortem. And what McNulty does is invent a serial killer. Right? I've forgotten about this. This is just amazing. He invents a serial killer. He gets Daniel's... He gets his task force to hunt down a serial killer. He invented. But now all of a sudden the money's coming in. And what happens is because he's in charge of the task force, what does he do? He gives okay to overtime. People need stuff. He pays for it. He's basically using his task force to pay for the entire precinct. That's what he's doing. And of course, this ends up with him getting fired, right? Because people, and the great thing is the journalists that break the serial killer case find out that the serial killer is made up, right? So this whole thing gets exposed. It's just brilliant. It's such a great idea. And so, and this is it. This is, McNulty's just, he's at his wit's end. And so, of course, the show ends uh, with all the people who should be punished. Like Marlowe, by the way, turns out to be an actual serial killer. Because um, that's the whole thing. McNulty knows Marlowe's behind lots of people dying uh, in the drug, uh, 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 what you call it, the drug community and stuff. He's, he's just killing loads and loads of people. He killed Prop... Prop Joe and all he knows all these people are getting killed. He killed Pudi, uh, not Pudi, uh, Bodhi. Killed Bodhi. All these people, dead, 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 dead. Omar. All these guys are getting killed, and he knows it's Marlowe behind it. And Marlowe is a full-on real serial killer. Okay, but because there isn't any sexual aspect to the killing, which is what he does with the homeless guy, like the strangling and stuff, uh, no one cares. He knows no one cares. Marlowe is killing lots of poor black drug people. So as a result, there's no money. But if he invents a serial killer that kills white homeless people, suddenly there's drug money. Uh, so suddenly there's money, right? So that's the whole thing McNulty is up about. And of course, Marlowe ends up becoming Stringer Bell's, what Stringer Bell hoped for the most to be, which was the bank, i.e. a drug dealer that's completely separated from his drug empire. So all he does is seize the profit of his drug empire, but he's not touched by it. So Marlowe's complete gets Marlowe like wins the game of life, right? So the most disgusting criminal, he's way worse than any other criminal in the show. The worst criminal in the show ends up the most successful criminal in the show. All the people that uh, are corrupt inside institutions 
keep their jobs in institutions and people like McNulty and Daniels all the pe- and Freeman, all the people who could do their jobs properly, uh, end up out uh, as civilians. And that's how the show is. <laughs> that's the show. Um, okay. Yeah. We'll just try and push through a couple of things then so we can get to the real meat of it. But uh, talk about genre first so we can clear that up. Yeah, so, you know, we said like HBO didn't want to do a crime show. This isn't really a crime show. Um, So crime shows um, are, you know, they're told from a criminal's point of view, a detective's point of view, or they're told from the victim's point of view. And they're basically uh, about how someone is going to get away or get caught, right? Uh, And... Um, crime stories are about are sort of these intrigues, these intriguing stories about justice and injustice, and they intrigue an audience into who's going to get away with what, who's going to catch who, etc. There's elements of that in the wire. There's no question, mm. but fundamentally, what really hangs on this because you know who done it, yeah. <laughs> the cops know who done it. <laughs> Everyone knows who done what, when, where, high, and we know they're not going to get the who's going to get away with it. And who you'll never sat there going, "Oh my god, are they going to catch Stringer Bell? Are they going to catch?" Because you kind of go, "Well, even if they catch him, it doesn't it doesn't really matter because it doesn't solve the real problem, right?" And fundamentally, what really the show is is a social drama. Um, it's it's about justice because social dramas are. So it's the same. It's the same, same value, value, isn't it? The same value of genre, but. Uh, the emotion's different because really it's about compassion. Um, social dramas are about exposing uh, people uh, in society, um, problems in society rather, um, and trying to explain how and why these problems arise and how and why they can be fixed, or in the case of a pessimistic social drama, how they cannot be fixed. Um, and so there is this... I mean, one of the things that people will tell you about The Wire, and like what makes it so unique is you end up caring about secondary characters in The Wire more than you care about main characters in other shows. As soon as you reminded me that Bubbles was in the show. Yeah. <laughs> or Bodie. Remember Bodie? Which one was Bodie? He's the guy on the corner and he kills Wallace and at the end he's the guy who McNulty's like, dude, if you come with us and you turn states, evidence and all that stuff, we can, you know, you can have life. And he's like, he won't give up his corner and Marlowe ends up killing him. Just this gangbanger. But, like, he has this dignity and respect to him. And you just go, like, man, poor Bodie. And, like, Poot, Pootie, Poot, was his name Poot, Wallace? Uh, there's all these secondary characters that you just go, like, jeez, I forgot. I mean, my favourite characters in the show are Bunny Colvin and Cutty. They're not even in seasons one and two. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, And they're, they're minor parts. Cutty doesn't really have any story. But he's like, he's m- one of my favourite characters. And I love Bonnie Colvin. Uh, but then, um, but yeah, so it's just, it's just, yeah, everyone loves Bubbles. Mm. You know, and then there's Bunk. Jimmy! 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 You know, so you end up, so all these characters, you find that there's no, I mean, Marlo's the, the, the most evil of all the characters, I would guess. The most black and white, right? Mm. And then you have characters like Rules, who you actually kind of hate. Um, but, but but the thing is, there's this overwhelming sense of compassion in the in the story, uh, as opposed to intrigue. It's less intriguing than it is sort of. Yeah, I, I like you know I, mean? I, I like the um, 
that the definition between the two and yeah. if you if you're watching the stories you can really you can really tell which ones are the the crime stories and which ones are the um, social drama social drama yeah. just by gauging your emotion as you're watching it yeah if you're feeling compassion then yeah it's and obviously social uh, crime stories require a detective um, yeah. They might not be the main character, but there's someone in the story who's going to be uncovering clues. It's funny, the, the, most, crime. the most social dramas don't do that. The most crime bit of the show seems to be so, uh, season one, just from the, yeah. the certainly the way you were describing it. Oh, season two as well, because you have the Greek. Season two, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the in fact, I I might I would suggest season of of them season two is probably the most crime show, mm. which is I think another reason why it's popular. Right. Uh, because I, I, there's all kinds of people who I don't be- believe. I, I mean, I made this joke. A friend of mine, George. He's, the, he's the guy who owns Hot Salvation. Okay. Yeah. I met he, he, I was, he was having a discussion with someone about which was their favorite season of the Y, and he was like, "Season two is the best." And so George is this, this sweet, lovely guy, and I just, I just went, you know, George, the reason season two is your favorite. Uh, yeah, so you know, I, I, I backed him. I went, season two. Everyone says it's their favorite. He goes, you see, I'm right. And I went. Because <laughs> and his face, he just his jaw dropped like that. And every now and again, I wind him up. I go, "Season two, huh? You're the kind of guy like season two of the wire, <laughs> you know." Um, uh, <laughs> but I think one of the reasons why season two is actually very, very popular um, as well is because it is the most crime-like show. Mm. It's just it's more exciting than the other ones in that way. It's more intriguing. Um, so I don't think it's just. So let's take <laughs> just that. Let's take the the genre chat to the next level and talk about theme then yes um, um, oh, I, I, there was one other thing about social dramas as I was saying like detective there's always a detective in a, um, in a crime story um, oh. so social dramas don't really need detectives um, they need victims yeah um, and they need I, I, I mean you could say they need criminals but it's a very different kind of thing they need people who create victims um, so I guess whatever perpetrates the, 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 the injustice as opposed to um, someone who's actively trying to hide their evil doing, yeah. uh, their criminal behaviour it's less about someone who's hiding it and more about someone who's just perpetrating it so uh, anyway um, well, yeah so yeah theme um, define theme so um, in story McKee, because we just we worked we were talking about this beforehand. Um, McKee talks about how theme is a vague term because people use it to mean war, poverty, uh, whatever, and love. And it's like that that's a very vague term for what theme is. And so he uses the term instead controlling idea, which is essentially everything that theme means, which is the idea of a story, but it adds a functionality to it, which is you're trying to the controlling idea is how you express the meaning of your work how and why life changes yeah so you take the value how the value has changed and then why the value has changed and that creates the controlling idea and so it's theme with functionality so therefore we can say well theme is basically idea without function in the same and so that's what essentially a theme is right yeah and so the wire is a sort of thematically driven show as opposed to a structurally driven one uh, in the sense that they have a certain kind of idea because the controlling idea of the wire and the idea of the wire is that crime 
exists and thrives and perpetrates because the institutions, the legal institutions that, that are meant to protect us from it are themselves corrupt and criminal, right? That's why. And so the show, I mean, you, you know, the synopsis, it's just very clear. You have people who are trying to stop crime and every time they try to stop crime, political, uh, educational, uh, journalistic, uh, corporate, um, and uh, and uh, judiciary systems all conspire to allow the crime to happen. Um, and so that's that's what the show's about. And so it's thematically driven in this sense, rather than trying to block out every single story beat before they went in they kind of cordoned off certain areas to talk about. So season one is about the projects. And then they decide, okay, after the project, we're going to build the city a little bit more. So they're building Baltimore over the course of five years. And so first we go to the projects because that's where the drugs are. And then once you're there, you go, well, hold on, there's a problem because how do the drugs even get there? So then you go to the shipping world. And so now you talk about the same theme, but now you're in the world of shipping. And you've built on your previous... Uh, theme and your previous season okay because it's not just about oh my god aren't drugs terrible it's like well hold on how do we even get the drugs here's how you get the drugs but say like, hold on how can people even get these drugs through customs and everything well because this is how this works this is how this works this is how this works and you go okay but hold on all this stuff is supposed to be monitored by government season three in it comes and now you're looking at City Hall, who completely has the power to legalize and illegalize drugs, and they don't exercise it properly, right? And then you go, okay, hold on. So here's all this horrible corruption, but how did these people even get here in the first place? Bam, education. Let's show how, from how these people are not being, how education systems don't stop people from uh, becoming these kinds of people they're not taught anything because the education system is the same corrupt nonsense as the others and you go well okay if all this is true how come we haven't heard about this now we go to the journalism right and so you have five seasons and it's all built around a theme rather than say and it's as I said it's multi-plot so it's not one storyline it's not like Breaking Bad where you're following Walter White's degeneration and so each theme has to progress structurally over the next one this is this is much more a progression of theme and building of theme over the course of things so it's, so what you have is you have these ideas but they don't have function because you haven't written the story yet so it's essentially thematic long-form storytelling yeah that's what it is and it's not something we see often uh sopranos is the only one that really tried to do it yes yeah, so uh, so how is sopranos similar and how is it different well sopranos is different in the sense that it focuses on one character the, the Tony Soprano, you you can't take Tony out of the show. Mm. The Wire, any character can jump in and out. Baltimore is the thing that you couldn't leave. You can't leave Baltimore. Yeah. Right. Because the whole point is, it, it, by exposing institutions, it has to keep, it keeps the the city the same, but people inside the city can come and go. Because you're trying to show how the how crime is a generational thing. It's not just one person doing a thing. It's all across. The Sopranos is not. The Sopranos is about one person. It's about Tony trying to hold two families together. It's like a dark version of Arrested Development. The one guy who had to hold <laughs> his family together. Um, but uh, but the, the thematic thing is more symbolic. It's not so much an idea. It's more allegorical. 
Uh, so the first season is Tony as a son, both and again in both families, both his mafia family and his hmm. uh, domestic family. Son, then a brother, then uh, a father, then a husband, then a boss, and then uh, in season six, it's just Godfather homages and a waste of time. So I'm sorry, I just I really don't like season six. Are we gonna do our season six episode? Uh, I don't want to have to relive that. It's really <laughs> disappointing. Um, so, but the first five seasons are great, and so you see uh, Tony in all these different roles, building it up, and it's it's a symbolic thing. It's and it's a very small internal world about this character. Whereas, uh, but it's it's a similar thing in the sense that like all the stories they want to tell about Tony as in a son, that dynamic get done in season one. Then when you go to season two, we're going to tell all the things that we can tell about him being a brother. Season three, all the things about him being a father. The Wire is similar in that it's exhausting, like, okay, we're going to exhaust the projects, then we're going to exhaust this, but there's a theme sort of behind it, which is we're exposing the corruption of the institutions that are supposed to be stopping this, and we're building our case as we go through the five series, as opposed to um, what happens next to McNulty. Like, in Breaking Bad, you go, okay, now how does Walt get out of this? Right? In Breaking Bad, you're very focused on one storyline... There's other storylines that come and go, but that's not what's important. What's really important is this one central spine of action that takes course over the of course of the story. And the thing is, whenever you do multiplot, even if it's short form or full length multiplot, it's the same thing, which is what ties all the different stories together. And generally it's a thematic thing. You have a certain type of idea that and then through these different stories you functionalize it and create a controlling idea. And then the controlling ideas are often variations and resonations or, co- or counterpoints of the same point, the same co- controlling idea. So some, it's either nuancing it in some way or reinforcing it, or whatever. So that's how the wire works. That's uh, I, I, it, the, the 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 nature of um, how it's structured, as it were. That's what makes it different. And it's yeah. just it's an it's an interesting way of looking at things because um, I remember when I I did a when I was in LA doing the action day, uh, at the end of the TV day, we had a and a as in, as in teaching the lecture with, yeah, with, with Bob, with Bob. In fact, if I remember right, this might be on YouTube, this question, now that I think about it. Um, cause someone asked a question about how you plan your series. And I, this, that is on YouTube. It is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I, and I, I explained to the guy, I explained to the guy that, the, the different ways you can plan long form storytelling and this is one of them which is sometimes it's not even a question of time or talent it's just a question of it's not interesting you don't want to work out your ending because you want to explore this world this part of the world first and there's an aspect of the journey that gets you to write hmm. and so this is one of those ways where you go okay if I'm running a long form thing a storyline but I don't want to build everything just yet. I what I can do instead of working out what my next season will be, uh, and I can instead tell myself the areas that the second season will be about, and therefore as a way to not touch on them, and to focus on the theories that are available. So sometimes exclusion can work. It's a it's a form of creative limitation, right? It's yeah, not- it's like okay, I can't talk about shipping. 
in yeah. season one. I can't I can't talk about it. We can't go to the docks. Mm. We can't have them trace the money there. We can't have them do that yet because that's season two. I'd stuff. also argue though that in a sense, um, the ending of something like The Wire, it, it, at least in broad terms, must have been known because you can't write a show like that without knowing that the the corruption wins basically. Oh, um yeah, but they wouldn't they wouldn't have known much more other than I I don't think they would have thought about it in that sense because the the reason they would have gone corruption wins in that way. <laughs> it well no, it's the reason is because they they know that that that's the truth. That's what's actually the case. Yeah. They're not inter- so they're not interested in coming up with um um, an ending in that sense they just want to expose the corruption that's there they don't expect the corruption to change or shift they're trying to show why the corruption persists and so they create these characters who are all trying to fight it and then they go but here's why one the why is more interesting than the what yeah it was never a sense that um, they that they were ever going to that this problem was going to get solved in that sense I don't think so I, don't, I mean because I don't think they I don't think they sat there and go, well, no matter what happens, uh, McNulty's got to get fired. And I don't think they thought it that way through. I think they just were, they just knew that every time someone would, that they would go to the world of journalism and they knew going in that it will not end well. Yeah. That they know that ultimately the institution will survive at the expense of people's lives. Hmm. Uh, but they didn't know necessarily how and why. And so, because they did, because these people, you know, as I pointed out, they were all homicide detectives and journalists. They knew all this stuff inside out, and they had people on the cast who ex cons and things like that. They, they, so they knew these are people's lives that they are cobbling together to tell a narrative. And so, they, they know that when they get to journalism, this guy, he's a journalist. I know everything. I don't need to do my research. I know I've already done it. So I just don't know how I'm going to apply it. I don't know exactly what characters they're going to be. I don't know exactly how um, it's going to play out. Like, did he have the idea? When did they come up with the serial killer idea? No, I have no clue. Um, how, uh, you know, I don't think they planned any of that stuff out, but they knew that at some point they'd get there and that they would be talking about these kind of things in that environment. And they knew the environment well enough that they could carry it through. So... It's just one of those things where it's like it's just a different way to approach approach it because the 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 system that like someone like Straczynski used in Babylon Five, where it's just him on his own, beating out every single major plot point for the whole five seasons, or in Breaking Bad, them doing the same thing and then reworking it every episode, mm. where they're constrained because they're focusing on one specific storyline. This is more you're focused on one sort of uh, one sort of theme and you're building your story on a theme um, and then from that you're creating these individual characters and storylines and you're focusing your efforts uh, as you said creative restrictions you're restricting what you're going to talk about each season mm-hmm. uh, because well, you know it's such like a spir- spiraling subject so you're like focus on this focus on that focus I know, on that I know character you... comes in character comes out I know you said this off mic I can't remember if you said it on but it's about exhausting those areas as well before yeah. moving on yeah. so if you know you've got 13 episodes in City Hall you know you're going to absolutely exhaust that before you 
Yeah, it's like yeah, you, you know that like it will not never be the focus again. So yeah. what's what's the stuff that you can tell in City Hall that you can't tell? What surprised me yeah. most when I watched the show um, because you you'd already seen it and so I knew this structure existed. Mm. So I knew that they were going to build outwards yeah. into the city. What I also loved about it is that they didn't abandon anything. You've still got the cops as the through line. Yeah. of the whole thing. You still go back obviously to the yeah. the projects and yeah, you do. Um, yeah. Um, it really does fit. It it doesn't just shift its focus. It does build. Yeah, like the city does get built. Yeah, five seasons. Yeah, because the idea is like once they've explained what the projects are in season one, when they go to season two, they don't have to do anything. They can just re- reference it and go back to whatever they want because it's part. It's part of the world. You know that world. Yeah, and you know it so well that when they go to season two and they start focusing, you can see all the through threads that connect to it. And so they just, yeah, it's the way they built that city over over time um, that made it so unique. And the, and the nature of how they built that was through this theme, which was they picked institutions that needed to be exposed one by one, basically. And they picked them in a specific order. So with the danger of having the inevitable you know how do we make our own Ferrari <laughs> answer um, <laughs> what on earth do we learn from this I just I think it's just one of those things again where it's like here's um, another tool that you can put in your toolbox for or your toolkit oh, I just hey. remembered why we called it this oh jeez uh, uh, but <laughs> It's, that's what it's that's, this like episode 66 yeah I just remembered um, but that's not ba- just a clever name I know there was a reason we picked it um, but that's basically what it is like okay you're sitting down you're trying to make a show your story work for some reason uh, and it might even just be a full length story it doesn't matter but you're trying to make it work and it just feels too big you've got too much to talk about and there's too much out there and you just don't know how to do it so one way you could do it is okay break up this thing into different parts right and then exhaust individual parts one by one because if you know the subject that well and it's so big and it's so sprawling and you want to build up to it if you break it up and then start focusing piece by piece you can build it up over time and you can focus your attention on making each part work as it goes because you already know how it's going to work in the end you don't it's just it's one of those things where like some people like to be very meticulous and they plan out everything multiplot you can't plan out every single story like you can a single storyline because um the whole point is how they dovetail you just lose your mind um but a single storyline a lot of people who work on their own they want to just do one single storyline well then you can make it very complex you got one storyline you're trying to build that one storyline over time get to your climax etc it's just that's one way of looking at it but some people that might that might just not be triggering your creativity maybe you've done it before and you didn't like the results maybe um maybe it just you can't get away from cliche when you're doing it that way who knows so it's just it's one of those things where it's like this is a, a thing you can do um and a lot of the time a lot of the time with creativity uh, the real problem is not the solution. It's the right. It's finding out what the actual problem is. You don't know what's wrong, mm. and having examples in your head that you can call upon to remind you how you can do something a different way is often what you need to solve the problem. And so this is one of those things where it's like you know we've talked about how 
the reason to plot and plan a long-form story is because it allows you to create setups and payoffs mm. with enormous momentum and reach. Um, the Wire doesn't have anything like that at all. No. There's no big setup payoffs in the Wire. You, I mean, I did the synopsis. There's no like, and then this thing happens in season five that casts your mind all the way back. Doesn't have There's nothing like that. Um, that's the joy of something like Babylon Five or Attack on Titan. It's not the joy of the Wire. The joy of the Wire is watching the themes of this world and the characters just sprawl out and interconnect in ways, um, which is which is the point of the story. So um, that's the reason to plot out long is to create those setups and reversals um but um some people might not like doing that or the story you're working on it just doesn't that's not what your story is about your story is really about um watching something just slowly build over time but it's not about those kind of big rushes of insight in that way so essentially just to summarize what you just said what Mm. you're saying is this episode is useful for maybe five of our listeners you're welcome, listeners. I don't, well, I don't know, but um, <laughs> um, I think I've earned that one star. <laughs> I will give you that one star. Good. <laughs> good. We good? I think so. Excellent. Are we done? I think we're done. Okay. Do you want to sing the theme tune once more? I don't. I couldn't sing it the first time. I had. Yeah, I oh, know. This is the thing. They did the theme tune differently every season, so I feel now it's your turn to do it. Your your singing of the theme tune was so bad. I can't even. It didn't even remind me what the theme tune was. When you walk through the garden, you better watch your back. That guy, you know, the croaky voice. I can't remember his name. Does that? Got Louis Armstrong. <laughs> yeah, it's not. I know it's not. Which Louis reminds Armstrong. me, by the but way, it's your go. I always wanted to do a. Um, I know. It's your go. I always wanted to do what I now realise is called a meme, but uh, a series of. <laughs> Well, I created memes before they were memes, okay? Okay. Um, I think if you take all the Louis Armstrong hits and had Chewbacca sing them, Chewy Armstrong. Chewy Armstrong sings the hit. Oh. <laughs> I want you to sing the song. <laughs> I, but I can't do a Chewbacca impression. I don't, I don't want you to do it as Chewy. I want you to just... I try to do it as whatever the guy's name is. I've forgotten his name. Tom something... Well, the guy sang the song. The guy sang season two of The Wire. It was like Tom Strait? Tom State? I, I think know. it was Chewy Armstrong. It wasn't. And that's how he sounded, and I always liked it. It's your go now. <laughs> I don't know the song. When you walk through the garden, you better watch your back. I beg your pardon. you got to do it. It's not you got to do it. It's not happening. If you don't do it, I'll do it and pretend it was you, and they won't know who sang. Okay. So, I'm about to sing the song. Here goes. I'm a stupid head. My name is Luke. <laughs> I think that's pretty... And see. <laughs> Keep the devil when 